So that is John chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Uh, thanks, John, for uh, reading and uh, the kids' talk. When I came up and saw the crutches, I thought, is somebody saying, welcome back, old man, you know? And then he kind of said that, you know, so it's good to be back. Actually, with holidays and, and the mission trip, not the, the second holiday, the mission trip, it seems as I haven't been around much this summer, but it's good, it's good to be back. I'm, I'm hearing some, something. Oh, Gary's working on it. That's good. Excellent. Right, listen, open your Bibles, please, at um, John 5, where we are um, linking in with our group, growth groups, which will be starting on um, Wednesday week. Uh, and so we're back into to John's gospel. And God willing, we'll be running right through to next Easter or so. Let's pray. Father, we pray that in these moments now, as we open up your word, that you will speak into our hearts and into our minds. We desperately, desperately need you. You are the blesser, the fixer, the lover of our souls. Now, would, would you come and meet with us as we wrestle with the text, as we apply the word to our hearts and minds, as we learn to love you and trust you and follow you better. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we come to, to John 5, there's a change of direction. We begin to see increasing and growing conflict and clashes with the religious establishment. Now, if you remember back to John 1, when we looked at that just after, around, Easter, around Christmas, we marveled at the prologue and the calling of the disciples in chapter 1. And then we were in awe of Jesus as he provided for that wedding reception 
and they cleansed the temple in chapter 2. And then we looked at chapter 3 and 4, those two one-to-ones with the religious Nicodemus in one hand and the irreligious Samaritan woman on the other hand. But now we're starting a new section, and it's dominated by conflict. This is important because we need to know what is ahead of us when we live for and when we serve Jesus. We need to know what the reality is. If Jesus faced conflict because he did ministry his way, if we do ministry his way, then we're going to face conflict as well. We're in a war. If you were with us yesterday for uh, the big day in, then you would have learned a lot about that, how the enemy is attacking our minds and our hearts, particularly the minds and hearts of our young people, and these forces are seeking to destroy us as God's people. So we need to be aware of what's actually happening all around us. Kevin DeYoung warns us about how well we know Jesus. We may not know Jesus nor his ways as well as we think we know him and his ways. Now, he rightly fills our songs and our sermons, but how well do we really know Jesus? Because Jesus longs for and demands an intimate relationship with us. So he's not interested in learning from a distance or distance learning. He's not interested in us having limited access to him and him to us. He doesn't want to be a weekend hobby. He doesn't want us to be living in a kind of soft neutrality as far as God is concerned and Jesus is concerned and the world is concerned. That's kind of soft middle ground. No. He wants to be in the center of our lives continually. He needs to be. And so we're going to be challenged by Jesus constantly over the months that lie ahead. He will confront us. He will. He will make us feel rather uncomfortable so that we will not be content with just a little bit of religion. He wants us to know that He has much more for us. He longs to enrich us. And I can promise you that if you engage with the Word and engage with the Spirit, you will find your lives enriched. Folks, I say this right at the very beginning, and I may say it again and again. We must not miss this great opportunity. We must not get this wrong. We must not be people who are wasting our lives away. 38 years this guy was sick and sidelined. 38 years. Maybe some of us have been wasting our lives for 38 or 48 or maybe even 58 years. Let's not do that. In these verses, Jesus confronts uh, a couple of issues that we must be aware of, um, a broken and fallen condition of mankind and the rebellious and sinful condition of mankind. Let's think about them in turn. This broken and damaged humanity that we see in the first nine verses. Jesus is 
back in Jerusalem. He's been there before. He's back again. But before he goes to the temple, and remember, this is a festival, as verse 1 tells us. Before he goes to the temple, he visits this pool of Bethesda. Now, this pool was surrounded by five covered colonnades. By the way, just a little aside, this was recently, I mean recently, over 100 years ago, was discovered by archaeologists. Uh, the liberals would have pointed to this particular text of Scripture and say, there's nowhere in Jerusalem that has the, this pool with the five colonnades around. And lo and behold, the archaeologists find it. To prove, of course, that the Scriptures tell us the truth. But this pool was fed by a spring. And every so often, the inflow from the spring uh, caused the water to stir and this led to a superstitious myth that the first sick person who would get into the water would be healed. So, around the colonnades were lots and lots and lots of sick, damaged, broken people. Verse 3 tells us a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And so Jesus comes to just one. Just one of them. There's nothing special about this sick man. Nothing to commend him to Jesus. In fact, as we're going to see, he was full of self-pity. He was a bit of a, a grouchy gurner. He, he played the victim. He was thankless. So why him? Why him? When there were so many there sick. Because Jesus decided he was going to heal him. That's why. It's called God's sovereignty and God's grace. His undeserved mercy. But forget about the guy who was there for 38 years for a minute or two. Here's the question I'm going to ask you. I mean, why are you here today? Yeah, why are you here today? To hear a message of Jesus. Actually, to hear this question that he asks in verse 6. Do you want to get well? Why not the hundreds and the thousands of people all around us in this community? Why aren't they here, and why are you here? I'll tell you why. Because God has decided that you're going to hear this question at least one more time in your life today. Do you want to get well? Do you? It's called grace, you see. It's called God's undeserved mercy. This man was um, described as an invalid. Verses 5 and verse 7. Invalid can be split up, invalid. And one of the preachers I was listening to said, yeah, that's exactly how they were viewed by society. No value, invalid, no worth. That's how they were regarded. That's how they were treated. And of course, it's not just a picture of this one man who for 38 years could not walk. It's a little bit more significant than that because this is a picture of all of humanity. This term, invalid, this idea of being weak and powerless is a picture of you and me, all of us. Um, and we, that's, why we started, that's why we started our service with Romans 5 and verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, that word powerless is, comes from the same root word as the word invalid. So, in our sin, 
the gospel tells us we are invalids, all of us, powerless, broken, and damaged. Every single member of humanity is born this way. But here's the good news. Jesus comes to invalids and seeks them out, and He fixes them, renews them, saves them, we might say. We can't fix ourselves. And that was very powerfully demonstrated with the crutches in the kids' talk. We can't fix ourselves physically. We can't fix ourselves spiritually. He alone can fix us spiritually. He alone has compassion on us. But this man, 38 years, sick, 38 years, an invalid, waits with all the others for a bit of superstitious magic. Oh, that's what he was waiting for, the waters to move, and hopefully I'll get in. Hopefully nobody else will notice, and I'll get in, and I'll be healed. He was working for a cheap fix, looking for an easy answer, and it's exactly what humanity does when it comes to this brokenness within us, this damaged inner being that we all carry. Humanity is always looking for an easy fix to our core problems. And in some cases, it's medication. Oh, medicated away. Or perhaps it's entertainment. Entertain it away. There's a multitude of answers. Many of them superstitious, by the way. It's been well noted that the rise in superstition is matched by a decline in, the, in, in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in the Western world. So, as, as, as our society rejects Jesus, interest in the, super, the superstitious supernatural increases. And again, somebody said that when a society stops believing in the true and living God, it starts to believe in anything and everything. See, Jesus Christ is the answer to our brokenness and to our damage. As, as human beings, we've got to hear that. You've got to hear it today. I've got to hear it. The world around us needs to hear it. And so, Jesus asks the question there in verse 6, do you want to get well? It seems a ridiculous question, doesn't it? It seems rather bizarre. Some might say it's, it seems to be even cruel. Now, can I tell you, I've visited lots and lots of sick people over the years in hospital, and I've never, ever asked that question. But Jesus asked it for, for a number of reasons. The reality is, as human beings, we don't always want to be healed of our spiritual brokenness. We don't always want to be healed of our spiritual damage. We don't. And my experience in pastoral ministry over the years I've seen far too many people happy to remain the way they are. That's the air conditioning has uh, this downside. We hear people shouting for animals to come to them. Okay. With far too many people, in my experience, content to keep going on the way they are. 38 years and counting, you know? More and more years. Oh, just I'll keep the way I'm, on the way I'm going. And perhaps sometimes you, we are, as human beings, um, we want to bury our heads in the sand. We, we get into this kind of denial, convincing ourselves we don't really have a problem. Well, I'm not really broken. I'm not really damaged. I'm actually pretty okay. 
But remember, Jesus often talked to people on a different level to the level that they thought he was talking to them about. For instance, do you remember Nicodemus? Do you remember he talked about being born again, the new birth? What did he think Jesus was referring to? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb to be born again? Jesus was talking about spiritual rebirth. Or do you remember the the smart woman? Jesus said, I will give you living water. And she thought he was talking about water when he was talking about spiritual water. And to the invalid, basically what Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? What he's basically saying is, man, I can do much, much, much more for you than you could ever imagine. But two things you need to understand. First of all, your need. And secondly, my provision. See your need, trust my provision. And therefore, the question, do you want to get well, is a good question. And all of us and the world around us needs to understand these two things. Do we see our needs? And do we trust his provision? That's what Jesus is getting at in this verse, in this question. And what's the answer of the man? Well, verse 7, he doesn't really give an answer, you'll notice. He doesn't really give an answer. He plays the victim. Oh, 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 poor me, poor me. Um, Nobody ever helps me. Look at my awful situation uh, and listen to me whine and moan for a wee while. You started to whine and moan there at the beginning of your kids' talk. That's what we do. That's what we do. Oh, and today, don't many people just love to play the poor me game? I'm a victim. Everybody's a victim. Blame others. Blame circumstances. So this question really is a sensible question. Do you really want to get well? Spiritually? As well as physically? See, the question that Jesus asks here, do you want to get well, in verse 6, requires a great deal of honesty. But here's, here's what we need to understand. Unhealed sinful brokenness, unhealed spiritual damage will not just go away by itself. Do you know what it'll do? It'll drain you. It will haunt you. It will destroy you. It'll damn you. And if we get locked into self-pity, and if our hearts become paralyzed, then, gosh, we are in a serious, serious predicament. So the, the question from Jesus is not, are you okay? Because he's not. He doesn't ask us, are you okay? Because we're not. He asks, do you want to get well? We asked that previously, by the way, in John 1. What do you want? So if you're not a believing your own thing, 38 years and counting, oh, you're managing, you're surviving, you just keep on going on, keeping on going on, and maybe looking for cheap fixes, easy answers, 
And there's a whole host of them out there. See, Jesus is quite um, tender and aggressive at the same time in the beautiful way that only he could do it. If I tried it, and I do try it, I, I either am far too tender or far too aggressive. He managed to get it beautifully right. But even if you are a Christian today, and I know many, many of you are, Jesus asks you the very same question, does he not? Do you want to get well? Because, oh, there could be things in your life right now that are very broken and very damaged. Have you any bitterness in your heart, for instance? What about secret sins of lust and pride? What about um, lying and gossiping? Are they respectable sins? See, Christians are experts, and I know because I'm an expert in this. We, we're expert at covering up our brokenness and the damage caused by sin, and, and we can keep it hidden from others, and it can be you know, 38 years. I've been managing to hide the secret sin. So we're damaged underneath, but boy, the outward act is pretty good. But we know we're joyless, and we're peaceless, and we're fruitless. Jesus says, I want to make you really, really well. I, I want to fix your brokenness and your damage. That's why I came. That's why I died. That's why I give the Holy Spirit to the church. That's why I give you my gospel. And Jesus says to us, Christians who are hiding those broken and damaged sins, stop limping on. Stop limping on. Be free. So what does Jesus do? He ignores the, the superstition of the, um, that particular pool, and he heals with a word, verses 8 and 9. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And notice this little addition, very important. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So not complicated, just a, a miracle. The fixer of our brokenness, this fixer of our spiritual damage, does his work. You see, at just the right time, when we were still invalids spiritually, powerless spiritually, Christ died for the ungodly. So this is broken and damaged humanity. What about the second point? This rebellious and sinful humanity, verses 9 to 18. See, Jesus does, in the second section, kind of confronts all those involved in the scenes, in the story. And in a sense, he confronts us as well for our good. We should expect it, and we should welcome it, because we're going to be receiving much more of this confrontation over the weeks and months that lie ahead. And there's three issues that Jesus at least raises. We have only really time to look at two. We'll mention the third one briefly, because we'll pick it up next week. Focusing on self, that's the first thing. We see that in verses 9 to 15. You see, sin creates this self-focus. Me, myself, and I on the throne, and I just want to think about me, myself, and I. Maybe the nearest and dearest to me, but apart from that, it's just me, myself, and I. We're talking about consuming, 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 taking, taking, taking. 
but not ever thinking or thanking. So remember this man? He's been an invalid for, you've been listening, 38 years. Now he's healed, and he's able to worship, and uh, he's able to live, and he goes to the temple. And, and look what happens in verses 9 uh, to to 13. He's carrying his mat, which we see, by the way, is breaking the man-made Sabbatarian rules of the Jewish elite. So, verse 10, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? Verse 11, because I was told to do so. Verse 12, who told you to do so? And then verse 13, I have no idea. I mean, can you believe it? The man who was healed, had no idea who it was, for Jesus slipped away into the crowd where he was. He didn't know who had healed him. He, he didn't even bother to ask Jesus who he was. He, he made no attempt to, to know him or to find out who he was. He was so self-absorbed, self-focused. And therefore, Jesus deals with him uh, all over again. And, and verse 14, you'll notice, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. He, he warns him. And he basically says, my friend, don't treat the grace of God with contempt. And this is something we've got to learn, folks. And those of us who who attach ourselves to a Bible teaching church and we, we know about the grace of God. We even see the grace of God experienced by others. We may even experience a little bit ourselves, but we keep ourselves distant from Jesus. We need to learn that when God starts a work of grace in our lives, we should stop being so self-focused. And we need to stop making light of sin, and we should stop playing with sin. Or, as Jesus says here, something worse might happen to us. I'm not exactly sure what Jesus is referring to. Perhaps he's referring to judgment. We don't know. But one thing we can be sure about is this. Jesus says to us, when I bless you, and when I bless your family, do not ignore me. When I heal you and restore you, don't even think about forgetting about me. And when I change you by my grace, don't neglect me or something worse might happen. Uh, we can be so self-focused. It's part of our rebellious, sinful condition. We take the blessing and we forget the blesser. I wonder, am I... Are you in danger of committing that sin? Really? Going to heaven, tick. Life going well for my family, tick. Relatively healthy and wealthy, tick. Kids in a good place, tick. Job going well, tick. Looking forward to retirement, tick. You getting the picture? but little or no room for Jesus. Little or no service for Jesus. Little or no commitment 
to Jesus. It's me, myself, and I, and those nearest to me. That's all I'm interested in. And we forget who really gives us everything. The one who's given us access to heaven, the one who allows life to be going well, the one who gives us health and wealth and kids and all kinds of things. Every blessing, every breath, every penny, every everything. The beginning of a new church year. I, for one, know I ought to repent of receiving and yet holding back from the receiver or the one who gives. Um, these silly watches, you can't see what's going. Gosh, time's marching on here. Um, here's the second part of our rebellious and sinful humanity, trusting in legalism. Verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. The Jews hated Jesus, and they still do, and, and the reason being that he rejected their legalistic, rule-keeping, man-made extras, especially on the Sabbath day. That was the big thing that really annoyed them. Uh, they tried to work their way to heaven, they, therefore they didn't have any time for Jesus and his grace. But the interesting thing is, how many times do we read in the Gospels that Jesus healed on the Sabbath? Why did he do that? To intentionally challenge their man-made religion, to intentionally challenge their graceless, legalistic religion. Notice here in verse 8, it's Jesus who told the man to do something that he knew would annoy the Jews. Jesus commanded him to break their man-made legalism, and so they hated him for it. Now, sometimes, you see, uh, in, in our, the evangelical church in Northern Ireland, maybe some of you come from that kind of background, um, people think that such man-made extra legalistic rules are harmless, but no, they are extremely harmful. They are extremely dangerous because their kind of religion, works-based, is still popular today. It's extremely dangerous. It damns many a person to a lost eternity. It's part of a rebellious and sinful condition, ignoring Jesus, trying to work our way to heaven, wanting our rules, not his grace. You see, Jesus came to, in a sense, you know, build, a, build a bridge for sinners to enter heaven, and the humble walk across it, praising his name. And the proud refuse because they trust in their own works. Are you, are you trusting him? Or are you trusting yourself? Trusting in legalism. Lastly, rejecting the, the divinity of Jesus, verse 17 and 18. We'll pick this up next week because we want to spend um, relaxed time around the table. But notice verse 18. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, black mark number one, but he even called God his own father, making himself equal with God. Black mark Number two, that's, that's what the world does. And sometimes, by the way we live our lives, we reject the divinity of Jesus because Jesus has every right to rule and reign over us, every right to rule and reign. He is the Lord God Almighty in, in, in the flesh here in the Gospels for us. But we want to restrict him and we want to limit him, and it's part of our rebellious and sinful nature. The gospel means we're saved by grace. 
But we, in our broken and fallen condition, we, in our rebellious and sinful condition, like to be in control. So we focus on self, we kind of delve into legalism, and we reject the right of Jesus to rule and reign over us. The answer, of course, is Jesus. And when we have him reigning and ruling in our hearts and minds, we are God-focused, not self-absorbed. We are grace-driven, not work-reliant. And we, are, we have the divine Jesus, not some kind of religious guru. The Word tells us this, doesn't it? But guess what else tells us this? The sacraments of communion tells us this. Because now, we're, uh, after singing our last hymn, we're, we're, going to, we're going to be around the table, those of us who know and love the Lord, we're we, we going to focus on, on whom? Not ourselves. In the sacraments, we don't focus on ourselves. We focus on Him. We focus on grace, the grace, amazing grace that saves wretches like you and me. We focus on grace, not works. And we focus on the divine Jesus who laid down His life for us, not on a mere man who ended up on the cross. Now, you've heard the question again today. Do you want to get well? doesn't matter if you're a believer or unbeliever. doesn't matter what kind of condition you're in. I ask you this question. Do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Well, the answer is Jesus. And you need to do business with him because he's done the business for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace we thank you that you are the one who comes and fixes our brokenness and fixes the damage that sin has um, brought onto our lives. And we, we just long to receive you and all your fullness and all your mercy. Oh God, speak to us through the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, even in the very sacrament. And may these next moments together as a church family be moments of great blessing and Great change. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.